This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Well, hello. Welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast in which we discuss independent music, how awesome it is with the people involved, people who are on the ground floor, making it, being influenced by it, taking it out in the world, making sure people are educated about uh, this whole awesome scene that we love so much. And I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Ever present. We're bringing this on a weekly basis. Sometimes I step back and I'm like, I do this on a weekly basis? This seems crazy. And yes, it is crazy, but I have so much fun doing it. And the guest this week is Mr. Matt Scottaline, who is the lead vocalist and guitarist for awesome band, an awesome band, awesome band <laughs> called Hurry. He also played in a band called Everyone Everywhere. And uh, he just he's he's been doing the damn thing for quite some time and uh, making really, really catchy, good music within the uh, sort of, you know, emo power pop indie rock stuff. And uh, we become very close friends <laughs> very quickly on uh, on the podcast. And I enjoy that when that happens, where, you know, when you uh, when you feel like you're done with the conversation, be like, hey, I think I got, I got a new friend there. And that's exactly what Matt became. So, uh yeah, that's what I want to let you know, but I also want to let you know about rockabilia.com. Please go to their website in which you will be able to purchase band merchandise that is very high quality, will come to you very quickly, and is officially licensed. That's To me, that's the hugest part, because bands live off their merchandise. They live off touring, and when they sell their merch online... And then they get their royalty statements. There is nothing more exciting than that because you're like, oh, wow, I just sold like 90 shirts and, you know, I, I get to make an additional thousand dollars this month because of these companies officially licensing my stuff as opposed to the horrific bootlegs. Like I actually was on a little uh, rabbit hole the other day on eBay and saw the the market for people publishing tour dates on the back of shirts and then ripping a photo off of the internet and tossing it on the front of the shirt and calling that a tour shirt. I was shocked and I was like, Oh, this is such a bummer. I can't believe this is happening. Cause there were tour dates that were like happening in the future. So you could tell people were, were trying to kind of capitalize on that. But rockabilia does none of that. Like I said, they're officially licensed and I will give you 15% off your first order PC 100 words, right? I think that's what it is. no, yeah, one hundred. <laughs> this is bad, right? That I don't even remember my my uh, my promo code. But uh, yeah, you'll you'll be able to find it in the show notes for this particular show. And um, yeah, just use the promo code, and uh, you will get fifteen percent off. It's spectacular, right? So yeah, actually, here here, professional, right? PC one hundred words or less. That is the code you will use. You will get fifteen percent off, and Rockability is awesome. Okay, no two ways about it. You'll be able to get your your, your long sleeve Alkaline Trio shirt and uh, your short sleeve Have Heart shirt, whatever you want, they got it. So that's Rockabilia. And noecho.net, great web partner of ours. You should go check out their website because they've got great content published on the daily. So find that website on your internet machine or your phone, wherever it is you're consuming the internet. And uh, what else do I got for you? I am going to be in Milwaukee in the next couple days. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, I probably am already there. I get to see Boney Vare do a 10-year anniversary show for For Emma forever ago, and I cannot wait. And I also get to see a Milwaukee Bucks game while I'm up there. I get to freeze my butt off because it's so cold <laughs> there. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a really good time. Me and the wife, and we'll uh, hope, you know, get some decompression time, some relaxation. And uh, what else do I got to tell you? That, that, that's all. All right. Let's just let's dive right in the conversation with Matt. It's a great one. We talk about a lot of fun stuff. And uh, yeah, it gives a very good sort of bird's eye view of the Philadelphia music scene that uh, he has been born and raised in. So here we go. Here's Matt. definitely was uh the 
you know, obviously growing up in the, the Philly scene as you have and all the bands that you played in existed in that. I just always, um, you know, and everyone everywhere was the first time that I was like, oh, wow, like this is, you know, I like this band. You, you, you got a good thing going on. And then, yeah. Uh, you know, all the other stuff that existed around there. And I always admired, like I, I myself toured in hardcore bands from like, I don't know, 97 till about 2007 or so. And we were, Whoa. we were really good friends with uh, the guys in this day forward, which turned into circus survive. And so like, we always played in Philly and the surrounding areas. And I always loved the scene uh, just in general, whether it was specifically attached to hardcore or not. Like, I just love the fact that you could have a place like, you know, the church in Philly, but then you could also have, and like the TLA, but then you could also have like this vibrant house scene just because like, you know, in Southern California, like if you put, try to play a house show, like it'll last a song and a half and then it's done. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. So the, is it like a, like a cops thing? Yeah, totally. Cause I mean, it, it's not too different than the suburbs of Philly, but it's just, you know, it's just so hard to pull it off because I mean, for one, there's no basements out here, you know, like, right. We don't have that, that that whole thing. That makes it hard. Yeah. So, like, did you notice that kind of, you know, as you started to get out there and play shows where it's like, yeah, you have these, you know, quote unquote legit venues, but then you also have these, you know, total, like, complete DIY spaces. You know, the church arguably is a DIY space as well, but, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, totally. Because especially when I was younger and, and the band's, I've, I've been in even up to when hurry was newer, you know, a lot every now and then we get like thrown on like a quote unquote, like real show at, 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 at a venue. But, you know, 90% of the shows we played were DIY shows and they were either in a house or in like a repurposed, uh, batting cages or, or, uh, I don't know, in like a community center or like that, even in high school, like that, that's like, that's how things were. And that's how things stayed like through, through college and, and, and just like pretty much until very recently. And, and I still play a decent amount of DIY shows. Um, and I really like doing them, you know, but it's only been recently that I felt like I even had access to the sort of like the real, the real shows, you know, uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's like the, it, it is funny when you have the opportunity to play, you know, the house party shows or whatever on that level, like, you know, that are still awesome and unbelievable that you could fit a hundred people in this living room. But the moment that you're like, you can hear yourself sing, it's like, Whoa, this is weird. Like I gotta, it is. Yeah. I gotta it's monitor. hard to also like, it's, I find it really difficult to, um, not really difficult, but, but it's, it, to me, it's always interesting. Like, if we'll play like a tour or something and we're bouncing between like my favorite example is uh, last year we did a tour and we played a basement show in, in Boston. Um, to, and, and, you know, it was a small basement. There were like 40, 50 people there really fun. And then the next night we were at the Bowery ballroom in New York, uh, like opening for not a surf. And it's like, so like, there's like you, you, you also, when you're a band, like a small band, you experience these like crazy dichotomies and, uh, it can be really strange to adapt your performance and even just like how I'm setting my guitar tones on a given night. Like, uh, the, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think about this stuff a lot being a band that like, we're certainly not like a huge popular band or anything like that, but we we're, we're starting to like live in both worlds a little bit now. And, uh, it creates those, like those weird situations that are, they're fun. Right. Right. Well, it, it is interesting when you do get to that level of w what you're talking about now, where the, uh, the, the notion of taking what you do artistically, quote unquote, seriously from a monetization standpoint, like, and not, you know, I'm using those terms very deliberately because, you know, it sounds like there's this cold calculating businessman that comes in and, you know, starts to tell you how to do your band or whatever. But when you get to that point, it's kind of like, oh, like, I guess we can exist in this world and still be like who we are. But as long as we don't, you know, give up these yeah. you know, certain instances. I mean, I think it does get, I, I know that I personally, and maybe it's more in my own head, but I, I definitely feel a vibe of like, 
you know, we're not not a band with like like we don't have a manager, we don't have like agents. We're still like a very DIY band uh, as far as a lot of things go. You know, we're lucky we have like a cool label that we work with in Lamo, and, and and like they do PR stuff for our records. And but um, you know, like I I you know we we're at heart we're still a DIY band, but you get into a weird space where like you've gotten the opportunities to do cool, more like mainstream things. And you feel like you're sort of like between two worlds. And, um, and for me that, that feels hard to navigate sometimes because I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm always in sync with like the, the most punk end of the DIY scene, like here in Philly where I live. Um, but I'm also not like crushing it at like at like big shows and like doing and like doing big tours either. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. It's not. It's not like I mean because so it's, it's it's just a weird thing. It's yeah. Oh yeah. Well, because it's not like you know the 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 Bible that the independent DIY scene is built upon is you know Fugazi, where it's like everyone looks at them and is like, oh my gosh, like you know. Like, dude, if you want to be like a real credible band, obviously you need to follow some of the sort of tenets that they did. And then, sure. you know, there, of course, there's principles that you can apply and learn from that. But then a lot of it is like, well, yeah, but there was only one Fugazi. Like, I can't, I can't be that band. But, <laughs> but then at the same yeah. time, you're like, well, but I don't want to be that band who's totally just like, you know, rolling out a business plan before they've even played their first show or whatever, you know? Right. Totally. And yeah. And I, you know. I am not, I've never been someone who's been like very business focused when it came to the band, um, because I don't necessarily believe that's the right way to do it. And I know that's how a lot of people do it and they have fun doing it and they're successful doing it. But, you know, I have always been someone who's like, I'm going to do the fun thing and, you know, I'm going to try to not be an idiot, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything differently than I, than I would, um, feel like that yeah we've really gone on quite a tangent from your first hey, question hey man that, that that's that's what this is all about that's podcasting in a nutshell <laughs> that is yeah we are we're casting away <laughs> um kind of, kind of stepping back and focusing on you as a person were you born and raised in philly or did you come up somewhere else i grew up in the suburbs of philadelphia in uh in westchester pennsylvania oh yeah not not too far from doylestown right yeah it's not that far doylestown is sort of like north of philly and Westchester is kind of like equal distance west of Philly. Okay, got it. So you could sort of make a triangle between all three. Okay, but I have been to Doylestown. I used to. I, I've played in, at uh, Siren Records in Doylestown a, a bunch of times. Yeah, great record store. Um, it is a nice store. And, and so, uh, what was your family structure like? You know, I mean, you know, I'm going to presume because it's the you know suburbs, kind of sort of like middle class lifestyle. Uh, did you have brothers and sisters and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, middle. Yeah, we were very middle class, uh, like a classic '90s family. Um, my parents uh, together, still together, uh, and I have one younger brother um, who's two two years younger than me. Um, but yeah, very like, very very good uh, situation. Uh, very lucky to have the, the childhood I had. Nice, nice. And what what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my dad worked at Boeing uh, in the helicopter division. He started. Uh, he's, I'm pretty sure he started working in the factory when he was in his early 20s, and uh, kind of like you know worked his way up through the company into like a management position in, in like the parts department. And uh, and my mom started her own company um, when I was a kid. And, uh, she ran her own business doing like TV commercial, uh, she would buy television time for commercials. So like, uh, whenever you saw like one of those commercials with a blue screen and an 800 number, like direct response media stuff. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. She would like, she would place those on, on TV channels for people. Uh, got it. So both my parents, both my parents worked when I was growing up. Nice. Nice. And, uh, what kind of kid did you find yourself being, you know, I mean, you've just from an outside uh, observer of, you know, you, I mean, you seem, you seem like a, uh, like a person who is, is comfortable talking to other people, but at the same time is like, 
you know, I wouldn't define myself as like outgoing or the life of a party. Um, you know, where, where did you find yourself being on that spectrum? I was, when I was younger, you know, I was, um, I was, I, I'm sort of how you describe, you know, like a mix of introversion and, and being an extrovert where, you know, in school, I was a really good student, especially in grade school. I was, uh, I was definitely a nerd and, and like a teacher's pet kind of like school was like the most important thing in the world to me when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I was, I was never like a cool kid. I, I was like, I was kind of fat growing up. I was, I was like, I was an easy target when I was a kid. Um, when you combine that with like being the teacher's pet all the time. Uh, <laughs> sure. So, uh, you know, that certainly I'm sure, uh, changed the way I approached the world a little bit. And, uh, I don't know. And so, and then, you know, middle school and, and high school, high school is when I started to sort of, uh, you know, figure out who I, who I was a bit more, which I'm sure is what everyone does. But yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I uh, I'm definitely a more confident person these days than I was when I was a kid. Nice. That's good. Well, I, yeah, I, I think that's how it's supposed to go. It would be kind of, kind of terrible yeah, if it was the other true. way. You're, you, you walk out as like a super confident 10 year old. And then by 20, you're like, no, nah, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's as I say it, I realize that that's, uh, that's not that interesting of a thing to say about yourself. No. I, <laughs> but I, I guess it, that, that means everything went fine, you know? Well, but, uh, but some, I mean, but to your point, it is sometimes that, uh, you know, I mean, people are, you know, always growing and evolving and, you know, hopefully you're feel more confident in yourself when you're 50 as opposed to when you're 30. But, um, you know, right. some, sometimes those leaps take, uh, longer to manifest itself, you know, so your, your point is sound, my friend. Yeah, I, I really, it's, it's, I, I feel like I didn't start to really understand, who I actually was until like, and I, how old are you? I am 37. Okay. So maybe you can say whether this was a similar experience for you and we'll use our two data points as like the official word on this. Exactly. Um, I, uh, I feel like I didn't really get who I was as a person until like my very late twenties. Oh yeah, I definitely, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think it's funny because you know, I, most people that are involved in sort of youth subculture, whatever that may mean, whether it's music or other weird stuff. Um, yeah. You know, there's this notion of pushing against growing up and yes, to many extent, to, you know, to many circumstances, yeah, growing up, you know, sucks and having more responsibility sucks and all that stuff is, is true. But at the same time, if you approach it with that level of like, well, I, I'm, I'm still who I am as a person. I'm just like, you know, I'm doing adult like things. It doesn't mean that you're like this, you know, the adult that, the, that the descendants sing about where it's just like, you know, some total square or whatever. So totally. Yeah. But I, there's, there's room for growth and understanding who you are as you become that adult. But I, yeah, I, I would, I would agree. Your data point of late twenties is when you kind of feel like, Hey man, like I've, I've learned some stuff. Sure. And I'd certainly like, I, I haven't really like figured it all out yet, but, but, uh, you know, I feel uh, certain like way more secure in, in it now than, than I did. But nice. But yeah, when I was growing, when I was growing up, I, I was just like, uh, please don't look at me. Uh, <laughs> I hope, I hope no, wherever I am right now, please nobody laugh at me about whatever, like, you know, it was a very, a very cautious childhood. I right. Would say. <laughs> right. Right. You're always walking around landmines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the, uh, I mean, it sounds like you, you, a self-described, um, you know, focused on, on school, like, you know, you enjoyed getting good grades and you enjoyed that experience. Um, you know, what, what was kind of the focus as you were going through as far as a career or, you know, what you were going to do, do at college and, or was that stuff, kind of taking backseat as music started to become more, uh, more prevalent in your life. It never like it, it. So in high school, high school is when I started like playing in bands for the first time in like a way where like we were writing songs. Um, and you know, college, I, I knew I wanted to be involved in music and 
And I even went to, I went to Drexel University in Philadelphia um, and I studied uh, uh, music industry was my major um, in, in undergrad. And, and I, you know, I was really of the mind that like, I'm going to open my own studio. I'm going to be an engineer uh, and I'm going to make records because um, when I was in high school, I met an engineer in Westchester who I still, I've actually recorded almost every hurry record, including uh, the, the newest one, every little thought with this guy, uh, his name's Mike Bardzik, but I, I was really inspired by him and, and uh, the way he was able to sort of support himself just making records and, and, and like, and, and, and living in that world. So that was kind of what I thought I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, I worked in his studio for a while during college to, to try to learn from him as well. And, uh, and I did make some records with friends bands and, and, but I, I, I realized that, uh, I, I think I, at least then, and I, I had too much anxiety to really be an engineer. Um, it, I, I, I felt like I spent the whole time worrying about messing something up that I didn't, I, I wasn't great at, at the job. Um, but, but, you know, that whole time I was still playing in bands and, uh, and, and, you know, I never, I've never been one of those people that, that thought I was going to quote unquote make it as a musician. Um, because I feel like I'm, I'm too pragmatic to think that way. Um, but, but it's always been something I've been after and, and, um, and, and, and I've never stopped and I don't really think I can stop. Um, and, and I did end up going back to school in the last like five years. And I, uh, actually got a master's degree in, in education. Oh, nice. And, uh, so you can teach. Yeah, I can teach. And I, and, and I've actually like moonlighted as a substitute teacher, um, within the last couple of years. Uh, so that so, is, yeah, that, I, I, that, that job, and not to interrupt your train of thought, but that job yeah. uh, is something that, uh, I mean, honestly, a lot of people kind of in the, you know, whatever, punk adjacent music scene a lot of people have totally. done a lot of people have done that just because it offers the flexibility of oh yeah well i'm not going to work for these months during the school year and then obviously i've got all summer off and um you know it gives you mobility from that perspective yeah and i think it actually plays into the skill set of a musician in in the sense that uh you know getting in front of a group of strangers whether they are people in at a, at a, like a show or they are 25, 13 year olds. And in both situations, you're going to try to win them over and not have them yell at you. Uh, that is, that's a very similar feeling in both those environments. So I felt oddly suited to take that on. Like I don't, it doesn't freak me out to be in front of a, a bunch of like 13 year olds who hate me. Right. Yeah. You're like, I've done this before. <laughs> Yeah, like so, this is what I do for fun on the weekend, so I'll just do it right now. Totally. And I'm just and it and it's funny, and never the two shall meet because it's not like you would impress anybody at a show by saying you're a teacher and vice versa, because most people that would look at a teacher in a band and be like, Oh dude, like you're probably in just some stupid lame cover band or whatever. <laughs> well, I did have an issue because uh when I and there was a, a a point where I was teaching and uh, you know, like I don't, this is, I don't need to say this, but I will. Teenagers are, uh, very good with technology and, uh, they found some videos on YouTube of the, of my band playing. And I had to like, I had to have like a very frank conversation with the student and be like, please don't like, sh I didn't want people to know. Cause I felt like it, it, it brought me to like in, in a, teacher student relationship i didn't want them to think i was too much of a peer of theirs right of uh, course yeah yeah especially they, if you're a young they, teacher too yeah like they when they see a video of me playing a diy show in front of a bunch of teenagers like that's that's like a very there's a very small distance to travel between between those two relationships so uh that was a little a little strange but but you're right most of the time most of the time, the teenagers don't even want to know anything about you because you're not like a real person. <laughs> totally. Uh, the, the, only, the, the reason I, I enjoy this topic is because both my wife is a teacher, my mom is a teacher, and if like music and that whole stuff didn't consume me, I totally would have been a teacher. So I always, yeah. I, I like you, have always drawn those parallels, and I see how how that 
you know, the, the idea of playing in front of people is, you know, a complete skill set that teachers don't commonly get thought of in that same light. And I'm just like, I, I, I'm very glad that you draw those parallels because it makes me excited that I'm not, yeah, I guess I'm not crazy about thinking those things. <laughs> no, it's because like, you know, when, when someone like a family member or friend is like, Oh, I don't know how you get on stage. Like, like, you know, and I'm sure it was the same for you. When you start playing music, you are afraid to get on stage, but after years of doing it, you don't care anymore. Um, and, and, you know, that does carry over to teaching. It's not, it's obviously not the same thing, but, um, but yeah, that's why I went for it because one, I knew, you know, it would be like a nice fallback if, if like, I really crashed and burned at music, but even if it was quote unquote, a fallback, it, the flexibility you talked about was still there. So I could still continue to make art, uh, while supporting myself doing something that I thought was, you know, a worthwhile thing to do. Cause I, I also just didn't want to, I didn't want like my fallback job to be something that, that I found like morally uh reprehensible or or like an in i didn't want to just like work in an industry that i didn't like on on a philosophical level or or like from a moral standpoint or something you know yeah or it's just like a job because yeah i i i feel a lot of uh, kinship in what you're saying because i i there's such a um and i really do think this is kind of um emblematic of suburb living from that perspective of the pragmatism that you're talking about. It, it isn't, yeah. you know, cause like you see people, um, and you know, I, I'm just taking, you know, random examples of like, you see, you know, a 20 year old dude in a band that, you know, is doing warp tour and with, you know, throat tattoos and hand tattoos. And you're just like, Holy shit. Like you're like, not only are you all in on this, like you're all in times two on this. And like, not, right. And not to say that, like, you know, I haven't made wise decisions or you haven't made wise decisions because of youth, but like, I, I never was like, oh, yeah, like, that's the person I am going to be forever. And, uh, right. but yeah, I, 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 I see exactly what you're talking about, where it's like, yes, you can exist in this world of being a creative person and contributing to art. And, but you don't have to, like, you know, th- that can't be your only thing that you, that you are and you do because, you know, otherwise you just might end up being a shitty person because you buy into the ego of being in a semi-popular band or whatever. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and, and again, like, I don't want to speak, there are, I I know there are bands, there are people I'm friends with who, you know, are professional musicians and do it in a way that I don't think is compromising. But I always felt like for me, if I wanted to take like the easier route, which is not easy still, but, but like play the game a little more, it just never felt right to me. Um, so, you know, my standpoint has always been to like try to make things I like and, and put everything into them, but don't do like weird, uh, stuff that, that, that doesn't feel, feel normal. So I guess that's, and, and that's just my pragmatic nature again, which for better or for worse is just how my brain works. Uh, you know, maybe if I was more, if I was less pragmatic, maybe I'd, I'd be uh, a rich and famous rock star or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who knows? Like, yeah, if you didn't have that little, you know, safety mechanism in your head, uh, you know, you could be uh, the next Billy Joe Armstrong or whatever, you know? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds about right. Our homies in SeatGeek are back and I could not tell you how excited I am because SeatGeek will make your life easier by purchasing the tickets to live events that you want to go to so easily, and it's going to save you a lot of money. So they're the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal or need the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, 100% fully guaranteed. I've used the SeatGeek app many, many times. On this Milwaukee trip that I was telling you about, I bought the Bucks tickets that I have and the Boney Vare tickets that I have through SeatGeek. And it's it's so easy because what they do is they grade every ticket based on the value to help you get the most bang for your dollar. Plus, like I said, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports to concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, I am going to give you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So just hop into the App Store, download the SeatGeek app, and enter the promo code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S, and I will give you $20 off. 
It's so easy. SeatGeek is the best. It gets you into anything. You could type in any show that you're thinking about and be like, hey, yeah, that's got tickets available on there. So I'm going to go ahead and buy it and then I'll get $20 off. So please do it. Use the promo code words, download SeatGeek, tell them we sent you. And then, uh, yeah, it's basically like I'm taking you out to a show, right? All right. Thanks, SeatGeek. $20 off. Yeah, I find it interesting. The uh, I wanted to dig a little bit on what you said in regards to, um, you know, Drexel, because I, I do, you know, I, I had a few friends that do did the music industry program there. And, you know, it, it it's more popular than it used to be um, as far as like music industry studies. Um, like, I, I mean, I have a random anecdotal experience of taking a music class in, you know, community college in the early 2000s. And it was like, you know, we were studying sheet music and I was like, that what what the hell am I doing? Like this is such a waste of my time. But all yeah, the, yeah, yeah. you know, you, but I I'm going to presume that your classes were definitely much more, um, you know, akin to what, or attuned to what was happening. Um, like, did you well, enjoy, or or maybe not? Did you enjoy the process, or did you feel like it was kind of, uh, um, you know, not a waste of your time? But like, did you feel that you, you didn't get as much as you wanted to going into it? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there, I did have to take a lot of theory courses um that like the, the way that program was designed was to to like combine a traditional music education with this sort of industry focus um so so i you know i think a lot of that like theory and arrangement and i even took some songwriting classes um i i feel like i really liked all of that stuff um but i you know the other, the other side of this before I rag on the whole experience is it's certainly one of those, you get what you put into it things. And when I went to college, I, I'm one of those people that probably should not have gone to college. Um, at least not right away. I was, I was not a very disciplined college student and I didn't do a very good job and I didn't really take it seriously. Um, so I, I feel like I didn't get a ton out of it. I met a lot of cool people and, and a lot of the relationships from then and, and music I was making sort of extracurricularly has shaped my life a lot. Um, but from an academic standpoint, like I, I don't know. I, I think it's right for some people. And I think if you're super self-motivated and you have like a really clear vision of what you want to be doing, it's, it's amazing. And I have friends who, who succeeded by doing that and, and are like crushing it now. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't for me. I was too, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was just kind of hoping I'd figure it out, but that's not really how you figure anything out. Yeah, no. I, and I understand what you're saying. It's not, um, you know, schooling and the, the, you know, discipline that it takes, you know, it's, and plus the program you take, like it, it can be completely different for each person. Um, I just always, mm-hmm. I just, uh, I am interested in the uh, approach that schools are taking as far as, you know, teaching kind of the music industry and teaching these things that are, you know, sometimes hard to define. And because it, it's not like you can take a class on, you know, signing bands or something like that, you know, like that, like, I mean, it's you, funny you, that you, one of my favorite things that happened to me when I was in that program, I actually took, uh, I took an A and R class. Oh, because, tell, t- uh, tell, tell me more. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause Drexel has, has its own record label. And that was like part of, if you were on the, the study track of learning about label management and, and like all of that kind of stuff, you would sort of work within this label. And I wasn't doing that, but I took this class as an elective just cause I thought it'd be fun. And, um, part of, part of the class was every week you'd, you'd have to bring in a new artist to pitch to the, the professor. And the professor was like an old music industry A&R dude. And, and he, you know, he worked for like Columbia records and, you know, uh, you would pitch him and he would decide whether or not like it might go to the Drexel label to, to, they would put a record out for them. Um, but my, my favorite anecdote is, is, uh, you know, from being in Everyone Everywhere and playing shows a lot, you know, we had played shows with with uh, Francis from Hopalong um, back when Francis was just a, a solo artist. There was no like full band or anything yet, and um, I brought in some of that Hopalong music to pitch, and uh, and the dude was like, he he, I forget, it. I wish I could remember his exact quote, but he basically said, "There's nothing here," 
And, uh, and then that, which, you're like, hmm, okay, how about that? Yeah, like that, to me, that's like a perfect example of how, like, out, out of touch the people that were teaching these classes were. Um, and just the, the sort of divide between, between, like, where, where they were at and where we were at. Right. Well, yeah. And it's, and it, it just goes to show too, that the, you know, there's the, the music industry is littered with people who, you know, did not sign Nirvana or did not sign a certain band that blew up. And it's like, yeah, that's because it's a completely imperfect science. It's not like something that you can quantify. Sure, sure. And so, yeah, it's so hard to be able to, cause yeah, that dude, who was listening to hop along was have he's coming in with his, you know, not only years of experience, but then, uh, his own, uh, you know, judgments and preconceived notions about what music should be. And then when you come in with something like hop along and it's like, Oh yeah, this doesn't sound like what, what the hell is this? It's like, well, yeah, to people like you and I who've been exposed right. to independent music, we're like, Oh yeah, this is really good. I can see, I can see why someone would like this, but yeah, it's so weird. That's funny that you had that experience though. What's the name of the, what like does does the name of the is there a name of the label at Drexel? I think it's called. I it was called Mad Dragon Records. Oh. Uh, it might still be called that. I I I don't know. I don't think they do quite as much as they used to. Uh, in like the early early to mid aughts, they were really like they were riding that that wave of like uh, you know, og music. Right, right. So to speak, when you know, uh, when people would still like, they were looking for the next strokes, you know. Oh yes. Uh, like it was that it was that kind of vibe for a while. They were doing a lot of like singer songwriter stuff too, um, because Drexel Drexel's really close by to um, WXPN here in Philadelphia, which is like a big uh, uh, independent radio station, and and at that time they were like pretty firmly rooted in the singer songwriter space as well are you kidding me are you kidding me casper is having a president's day sale for the first time ever casper is the place to shop for president's day mattress savings this year they sell directly to you eliminating added costs and saving you money and with three mattress lines to choose from the original casper the innovative wave and the streamlined essential there is something for everybody and better yet, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Returns are super easy, hassle-free, and if you're not completely satisfied, they will take it back. Sleep in superior comfort the rest of this year and beyond with the help of the internet's favorite mattress brand. Casper is so goddamn good. I can't tell you how much I love my Casper. When I climb into bed every night, I am so excited because I get to just cuddle up with my Casper. I actually get to cuddle up with my Casper pillow as well. So please, for a limited time, go to casper.com slash savings and receive up to $200 off your purchase of $2,000 or more. Dude, $200 off? That's amazing. I think I want to do that right now. Casper.com slash savings to get $200 off your purchase of $2,000 or more. This special offer expires February 20th, 2018. See casper.com slash terms for more details. But trust me, this is an amazing deal. Stock up on your Casper stuff. You will love your life when you sleep on a Casper. Okay? Casper.com slash savings. $200 off your purchase of $2,000 or more. Oh my gosh. So good. All right. Now on with the show, you know, and kind of on that same tip, like once, um, you know, you started to, you know, play more shows with, you know, everyone everywhere and you started to experience more of what that's like to, you know, play out and put out records and work with record labels and stuff like that. Um, you know, was it weird when you started to uh, probably feel the attention of people, um, you know, that were outside of your scene or even, you know, whether it's like kids you didn't know shows singing along to your stuff? Um, you know, was that a, was that a, an interesting sh- shift for you in your head or was that something that um, that that was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say normal, but something you were, you know, maybe um, going to expect. But then, you know, once you know, blog started to cover the fact that it's like, oh yeah, Philly's like the hot scene. You got to pay attention to this Algernon Cattawaller band or what, you know, like <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm just curious if you had the, I guess, perspective during that time to kind of recognize that stuff was, ha- was happening or if it was all just exciting. Um, I didn't, it, it was hard because a lot of that, I feel like a lot of that 
existed on the internet more than it existed in real life. So, um, you know, it would slowly build and towards the end of whenever, whenever it was a band, like, like when we did our second record, the shows were getting better for sure. Um, they weren't like insane and, and we couldn't like sell out a room or something, but you know, there would be people there who knew the songs and were excited and, um, and it was really cool. I mean, it, it's, we always sort of laughed, like none of us could ever take it seriously. It, it seemed really goofy to us. Um, because you know, we had spent most of our time as a band, 90% of it was spent being a band that was not successful and, you know, doing really bad DIY tours for two weeks where like a majority of the shows were to 10 people or less. And, um, just like classic, classic band stuff where you're just, you're just plugging away at it and, you know, we didn't really care because we were all friends and we were all in college and it was just fun. Um, so when people started showing up and they were like singing the songs, we would kind of be like, well, look at that crazy person. Like what, what's going on with them? Like right. it was more of that vibe. Uh, and then, and then I guess it was weirder for me, like after everyone everywhere kind of like chilled out and wasn't really active anymore, the way the band is sort of now regarded because, you know, I'm really grateful for it. It's really cool. But the way people think about that band and talk about that band was not really like our experience with that band. Oh yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, uh, I mean, it's the, it's the revisionist history. It's like everybody that, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how it, we're, I mean, I never got to see a band like Jawbreaker when they existed. Um, but the, right. the fact that it's like they can play in Hollywood at the Hollywood Palladium, which is like, you know, 3000 capacity venue and then sell out three nights in a row. And I'm just like, no, like I don't I, in no world would I have ever been able to look at that and ostensibly predict that something like that would happen in the same respect on a much smaller scale of what you're talking about, where it's just like, there's no way that when everybody started to, you know, when, when the world at large started to pay attention to Philly, that you guys probably could have felt anything beyond just the fact that like, oh yeah, well there's like 20 or 30 more kids showing up at the shows as opposed to like, oh, here's a wave of everything. Totally. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if anything, I feel like it's given me a healthier point of view where, you know, cause I started doing hurry when everyone everywhere was still a band, but not quite doing as much like, people in the band uh, had like moved out of Philly and were like pursuing careers and things were slower. So I, that, that's around when I started hurrying. And um, I don't know, it sort of helped me have a healthier perspective of like, you can make music that you're proud of and that you think has value. And even if, you know, you feel like in the moment, like no one cares, uh, music is the type of thing that, that, can find an audience way later than when you're making it. And, and it can affect people even if you can't feel it. And I feel like, um, times where with hurry, I would have just like given up very early on because, you know, I felt like, what's the point of doing this? Like, you know, being, it was, it was also weird for me because the end of everyone everywhere was when we were playing our best shows. And when I started hurry and then started doing hurry shows, we were at ground zero again. Like no one, no one cared that the guy from everyone ever had a different band. It, it didn't carry. Um, so it was a little, like a little bit of a shock to the, to my system to go back to like, like hoping anybody shows up to a show. Um, but I think seeing what happened with everyone ever and knowing that like, even if you're in a band and it feels like nobody cares, knowing that there's a chance people do yeah <laughs> i mean that i think that that perspective was sort of instilled in me through that experience and i feel like it's helped me keep a more level head about about stuff and not get too bummed out it, no it's a that's a very good uh viewpoint because yeah it's like when you get caught up on you know, trying to, you know, pursue whatever notoriety or fame. And I use those words in air quotes. 
um, yeah, it can get really tiring. But the fact that you're just like, dude, I can't even believe that like a hundred people bought our seven inch. And like, that is that in and of itself is insane to get a person to give up five dollars or whatever. Like it just, when you think about it in those simple terms, that's, that's when it, it, you really do treasure that, you know, that relationship, even if it's just transaction transactional, it's fleeting. You do have to appreciate that. And that's cool that you have are able to do that. Um, the, the, uh, something I also find, um, frankly fun about, you know, you as a person and kind of the, uh, the way that you, you know, present yourself to the world, uh, from a social media perspective, like, you know, clearly you have a sense of humor, self-deprecating, um, you know, you like to, you know, just enjoy yourself online as opposed to, um, you know, really, uh, dive in there and be negative because that's clearly most of the internet anyways. Um, I, I, I presume that it's just basically a really fun outlet for you to be able to, you know, obviously interact with people who enjoy your, your music, but then also, uh, the fact that you, you can use it to, you know, have a voice for a band that sometimes, you know, uh, it's tough for bands to, uh, to embody that, you know, cause a lot of times it's just like, Oh, it's just a band, but it's like, Oh yeah, they're kind of funny. They do this thing or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, there's like there are multiple reasons for why I, I guess I have that approach and one of them is sort of ties into what you just said which is there are so many bands and so many of them are of equal quality and and you know any person has their pick of who to listen to and what music is out like there's so much music so for me I I, I want to give more than just the music and, and maybe like find people who want to, uh, uh, you know, be a part of my little universe for, for reasons that extend beyond just them enjoying the music. And maybe it's, it's like, because it's also fun. And, and I feel like that's a lesson we learned with everyone everywhere because I sort of said this before, but we were never like, like a successful touring band. And I think, um, most of this sort of uh, reason we got acknowledged is I think we were we were kind of early on on taking like a goofy self-aware approach to how we presented ourselves to the world and and I think it it really resonated and and people were to it like whether it was um, I don't we we just we we always tried to do whatever like the strangest funniest thing was uh when we made decisions as a band so like uh you know what we we self-released our second record the first record we did with tiny engines and then we sort of realized you know we had an audience and we didn't need a label at that point and and we made our first 100 the first 100 copies of vinyl of our record we sold for name your price online um and and let people just pay whatever they want for vinyl, which we just thought was like an interesting idea, and and then like that got us written up in Forbes magazine uh, uh, for being like because right. it was like <laughs> business so acumen, there, which was like yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. But it, and and I don't know, like making music videos where like we talk over the song the whole time, and like there's like just we we've. I've always been drawn to, to earnesty in music and I, I still can't really stand people who take their, like the craft. And I, and I say that with air quotes of, of like being a musician, like incredibly seriously. And, and that's fine if that's the way you feel like I just, as for as serious as I take it, I also realize that it's not you know, being a band is not a unique thing. There's trillions of them. And it's, I, I don't like being precious about stuff. And, and so I think just being earnest is refreshing to people because so many people online, especially, I feel like they try to present the version of themselves. They want you to believe is true. And I think, I think when you, take the opposite approach and just present the version of yourself. That's like, Hey, um, I'm, I'm an idiot just like everybody else. And, uh, I don't know if anyone likes what I'm doing. Just, just saying things like that. I feel like is people love that, um, because it resonates and it makes, it makes you feel like, 
like 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 accessible and and, and similar and and um I don't know. I like I, I I always tell people like I'm I'm just an idiot on stage. No one on a stage is any different than the person watching the person on the stage. Oh yeah, it, for it, for sure. It, 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 it's it's funny cuz I mean that that's a message that gets permeated through so many different, you know, venues across the country. But um sometimes like people don't get either exposed to that idea or that idea hits them later. And it's just like, yeah, like you are, you that are observing the band is like literally no different. Like I'm just a dumb, dumb up here. You're just a dumb, dumb up here, whatever it is. It's like, you can do this too. It's just like, I just happened to do it, you know, maybe a year or two before you or whatever. Yeah. We're all dumb, dumbs. That's the important thing. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. We, we all have like barely any idea what we're doing. Yeah. So I don't know. That's just, that was, that's been my philosophy and I feel like I sticked with it because I, it's, it's worked. And I, I think, I don't know. I'll, I also don't know what else to do. I don't want to be like, I don't want to hate myself by doing the opposite, I guess. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I don't really have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. This, that's just, that, that is, that is your reality filtered through uh, Twitter or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, since, since you've existed in the weird middle ground of, you know, not making a, uh, living off of the music that you play from a survival standpoint, you know, like what do you, what do you do to supplement Like, you know, I, do you work at a coffee shop? Am I correct with that or no? Yeah. Um, so two friends of mine, um, they started a coffee roasting company. Uh, it's called reanimator coffee. Um, and they, I work for them. Uh, so, um, it's really cool because, because they're my friends and, and it grants me the flexibility to kind of like, uh, duck out for a while if I want to go on like a tour or, um, you know, if I'm recording a record, like it's, it's a very lucky situation for me because they're, uh, their understanding of, of like my artistic pursuits and they're supportive and, uh, and it also helps me uh, live in a house and uh, right have have like the creature comforts of what humans enjoy like shelter. Totally, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I I need a I certainly need a day job still. Yeah. Does uh, Reanimator Coffee they uh, they sell their stuff at uh, Grindhouse, right? Or am I? Yeah, cr- for a while. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Great coffee. Great company. Way to go, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I can't take credit, but uh, I do work there. Right. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, like you mentioned a couple of times, um, you know, and I, I will do, uh, all of my plugs for, uh, your new hurry record in the intro and outro of the show. But the, um, right. I'm sure like now that, you know, you have some, uh, recognition for the fact that like, Oh, hurry, like, you know, that they're, they're good. They've put out records and they have music videos and, you know, you guys have toured and, um, yeah, you, you've done more than, what you did with everyone everywhere. Um, does it feel, um, like, does it feel like, I guess you've accomplished more? I know physically you've accomplished more. Um, but does it feel like, uh, I guess similar to what you're talking about earlier, that this is a more confident version of yourself, you know, musically and artistically? Um, I mean, it does in a lot of ways, you know, from a statistical standpoint, you know, totally I've made more records and, and done more tours and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I, I've benefited a lot with hurry and just sort of like, I've been through it now. So I kind of like understand how everything works a little better. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's that same, it's that same thing that I'm sure, I'm sure every artist at every level of success feels of like, you know, you, you, you feel like maybe no one's listening or no one cares or, you know, there's, I feel like you can never escape that. And I'm sure, um, you know, I'm sure like even someone selling out the Hollywood Palladium is feeling that on some level, like, Oh, I wish I could play a bigger place or, you know, like, um, but you know, I, I'm certainly like, I'm really happy about, about what I've been able to do with hurry, especially 
because it's been such a personal thing and and um you know everyone everywhere was a group effort like every song we wrote was a group effort there was no like it wasn't one person's band and, and so for all we accomplished it was a, it was the accomplishment of of a group of us and uh it was really scary for me to do something that was just me and and it still is and and it was really hard at first because i took every every failure as a personal failure and um and every like critique i took as a critique of me and not the music you know so it it, it that's that was like a, a tough thing to to learn how to deal with but um but i do feel like pretty pretty excited about it and 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 it's been really cool to have anybody interested in it because the same way that I take any criticism or someone saying like, Oh, hurry sucks or something like the same way that affects me as someone telling me I suck when I, when somebody says they love hurry or I like, I see like the fact that I see people from like Japan or, or, or Europe or something that like likes hurry and post about online like that then i can take that as a personal accomplishment too that makes me feel really happy so uh, it's a torrid it's a torrid thing um no that's the, i like that um the way that you phrase that where it's just like yeah the criticism you don't feel like it's an personal ta- attack on yourself when you know you're younger everything is personal like no matter if it's about the thing that you do or the way that you you know the way that you've uh, well, don't get me wrong. I still feel I, I do still take everything pretty personally. I, I can't I can't get over it because like every every record is it's a bunch of songs that I wrote alone and my bandmates sort of like they they my bandmates play, play their parts and they do an amazing job like making the songs better. But but at the end of the day, it's these things I made and the reactions of people to that. Or like if a blog gives me like you know a two out of five uh, on my last album or something, I that hit that still does hit me hard. Like I have a hard time. It was much easier for me to say like I don't care what anyone thinks when it was a group band, you know, um, because there was strength in the camaraderie of of knowing like we made this together. Um, so, so, so it still is hard for me. I, I, I don't want to make it seem like I've, I've grown more than I have. Right. No, no, it's, that's a good point. I mean, no matter what, it's always going to, you know, sting a little, uh, but it, yeah, I guess it's a matter of like how, yeah. how much you're able to carry that with you or how much you're able to ignore or whatever. Um, the, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, the fact that like you were mentioning earlier, the, uh, you know, unconventional things that you've just kind of thrown at the wall just because it's fun from, like you said, you know, the name your own price record, uh, or to, you know, the charity releases that you've done. Um, is, is it kind of ostensibly one of those things where it's just like you randomly come across this idea and you're just like, Hey guys, should we do this? And then you're like, all right, yeah, let's do this. Um, or is it a little more, um, I wouldn't say thought out, but is it, uh, I guess it, is it less reactionary than people may think, or is it just pretty reactionary in general? Um, it's, it's, a, I would say it's a healthy mix of both. They usually all these ideas come from like a, a joke conversation I'm having with somebody. Um, and you know, I don't know if it's that I know it's an idea worth pursuing or if I get caught up in the moment and I, I go too deep where I just have to go through with it. Uh, but, but, uh, it's, it's a mix of both. Cause I, the, the ideas come from a very uncalculated place, but once I know I'm going to do it, I try to do it the best way I can. Um, that I wish I could talk about it, but there, I have like the old, ultimate example of this in the pipeline it's a thing i haven't released yet um and i when it happens you'll know you'll know and and uh everyone will either laugh at me or laugh with me i don't know i don't know what uh i I hate to i hate to just ease this thing but i i don't know when i'm gonna release it because it it's uh i don't know i don't know how it fits into anything 
Uh, it's, it has nothing to do with music, though. But it, it is associated with the band. And it uses technology. Spe- spectacular. Super, super vague. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, if, if, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what it is when the podcast is over. Oh, perfect. So you can sleep at night. Per- yeah, I know. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I never like, I never like teases with, uh, out, out some sort of, uh, <laughs> some sort of resolution. Um, but, re- but, yeah. but regardless, thank you very much for hanging out. It's been, uh, it's been enjoyable and I, uh, I hope you enjoyed it in some capacity. I did. Yeah. Thank you for, for having me on. I, I'm really happy to be here. Sweet, man. Yeehaw. That was Matt from Hurry. Please go check out their new record. It's really, really good. I played a song at the top of the show. Uh, just do it. Okay. They're a really, really good band. It's, it's almost undeniable how much I think most people will like this band. Like you listen to one song and you're like, Oh dude, totally in, totally in. So thank you very much, Matt. And thank you very much, uh, Emily for helping to set this bad boy up. And what do I got for you next week? I have a fun in-person chat with a old guest on the podcast, but someone that I had to have on again because he's doing really, really cool things around the music industry. Finn McKenty. He uh, works for a company called the Unstoppable Recording Machine Academy. And the this is for people who are passionate about recording, engineering, getting stuff done in the studio and how they do tutorials and how they do so much cool stuff online. And it's done by some, uh, some good friends of mine. And I had Finn over to my house and we got really into it. It was a, it was a fun conversation, very philosophical, very, uh, very deep, which, uh, it's not like I wasn't expecting that from Finn, but, uh, we go deep. So that's what's up next week. And, uh, that's all I got for you. All right. So please, like I encourage you all the time, be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.